Hello, my beautiful beans. How is everyone today? Happy Monday if you're listening to this the day that it comes out. Um, today, I wanted to do an episode all about getting out of your own way. I probably will refer back to a bunch of different episodes that have already come out, but this is a really good one for if you're one of those people that's like, why aren't things changing? I really want this to happen, but it almost feels like there are blocks in your way to making things happen. And I'm going to show you why you are in control or how you are in control of a lot of those blocks that are stopping you from living the life that you want to live or being the person that you want to be or having the experiences or the relationships that you want to have with other people um, and also with yourself. So there is so much that is in your control. I would say Weirdly enough, most of it is in your control. And I'm going to break it down into five points, the five main points of how to get out of your own way. And I can guarantee you, if you implemented these five points, you would see some massive changes in your life, in what would be happening, in how you would take action, in how you would take that leap of faith, in things that would just happen for you. So it's a very exciting and motivating episode today. Um, apart from that little life update, um, we're still in the process of the move. I think by the time the next episode comes out, I would have already moved and if you follow me on uh, Instagram, I'll tr- I'll try my best to kind of keep you guys updated with the move and show you kind of what the the new place looks like because it's going to be sick. It's very exciting. Um, if you don't already follow me and you want to, it's at Alexis Predes P R E D E Z on Instagram. Okay, so that's that's it for the weekly update. There's just it's just literally the moving and not much else happening. I'd wish it was more. And thrilling, but I did actually think that I would um, get back into. You know how ages ago I was like, I'm going to do a segment on the podcast called Pet Hate. So I do have a pet hate, and I also have a recommendation that I think you guys should um, listen to. It's a it's a podcast recommendation that I think you guys should listen to. But we'll start with my pet hate. Do you guys know what I fucking hate? I hate it when people talk about clothing being inappropriate for someone's age, like oh, in particular for women. And when people are like, oh, my God, she dresses inappropriately for her age. Oh, she shouldn't be dressing like that. Oh, mutton dressed as lamb. That makes my fucking blood boil. I just don't understand why when someone hits a certain age, certain garments are just now off limits. Why? How is it affecting someone directly? How is it affecting you directly if the person down the street is wearing something that you deem to be not that flattering or not that age appropriate in inverted commas? Like... Is it making you question your existence like, or your shallowness? Like, How does it actually impact your life that someone is just living their best life wearing what they want to wear? I just – and it's like this whole term of it's just not appropriate. Like when I question people, it's like, what's wrong with that? Oh, it's just not appropriate. It's not age appropriate. What, what is appropriate? Appropriate means suitable or proper in the circumstances. So even appropriate is – not an objective thing. It is subjective. So how can you decide what is appropriate or inappropriate as far as fashion is concerned, as far as like style is concerned? And often it comes down to like being ageist and people putting people down because of their age and what they're choosing to wear. Can we all just like not be okay with that and put a stop to it? Because I hate that so much. And if you're fucking 70 and you want to wear a crop top, do it. Fucking do it. Anyway, that's my pet hate. And you best be fucking sure that when I am, as I get older and older and older, I'm not going to be restricted by people's opinions of what I'm going to wear. So love for you if you are one of those people that just wear whatever you want to wear. 
when people have their own opinions and comments. Anyway, separate to all of that, I did. I was listening to this podcast. It's called Death of a Starlet. And I highly recommend that you guys listen to this podcast. A, it's a very interesting story. It's a true story, quite a tragic story. And it's about this woman. Her name was Dorothy Stratton and she was like a playboy centerfold model or became like playmate of the year whatever and this and she ended up being murdered by her husband who she was separated from um because this guy was just super super jealous super controlling he couldn't handle so much that was happening so he ended up murdering her and then murdering or killing himself and I just think it's a really – I found it really, really impactful because as you listen to this series – it's six episodes, it's fucking brilliant – as you listen to the series, you start to realise how many things were happening that are major red flags and you start to realise like – I don't know, like I feel like if you knew someone that was in that position, you would probably be like, wow, that's a red flag or that's something to look out for or that's maybe how I would step in and try and help this person. It makes you realise the importance of not isolating someone when they get into a relationship with someone who's toxic and kind of might kind of maybe ditch their friends or whatever. Like I think it's so important if you've got a friend who's in a relationship with someone that you know is toxic – just don't abandon them. Please don't abandon them because it can be a very, very, very dangerous, dangerous position for that person to be in. Like, fair enough, you don't have to be calling them every single day if they're not returning your calls, but always be there for them and let them know that you are there for them if ever they just want to, you know, and check in on them. It's, yeah, anyway, it, it's really like impacted me. It made me realize like how fucking fucked up some relationships are. And while it's never, ever, ever the fault of the victim, it's always, good to kind of know what to look out for, you know, and know how to, like what a fucking red flag is. So highly recommend you go and listen to Death of a Starlet. Very, very, very well done um, series. Anyway, let's get into my brain fact and then we're going to get straight into the getting out of your own way vibe of the episode today. So what I wanted to talk about, I'm going back to my little pharmacology, you know, flex, and I'm going to be talking about quaaludes. So quaaludes are a rec well they were originally prescribed as like a sedative especially in the in the united states but kind of australia a lot of other countries but it was really popular in the u.s kind of in the 70s 60s 70s and 80s and it was prescribed as a sedative for insomnia but then it really became a popular like recreational drug between the 60s and 70s and then it became illegal to whatever so it is basically a C a central nervous system depressant like Valium or other opioids. So it depresses the central nervous system. And I've spoken about this before that a depressant is not something that makes you depressed. You know, when people say alcohol is a depressant, that's why you get depressed. That's not what they're talking about. Depressant doesn't mean something that makes you depressed. Depressant is something that depresses the activity within the central nervous system. So it's probably like increasing inhibition by, you know, increasing the activity of GABA or something like that, which is what quaaludes do. So Given that it is a central nervous system depressant, it's going to lower your anxiety, it's going to be a sedative, it's going to calm you down and therefore it leaves people quite drowsy and it's also a very popular, well was, a very popular date rape drug as well, which is pretty fucked up. So the active ingredient in quaaludes is called methoquaalone um, and it's a barbiturate. So it's a sedative, it's a hypnotic. So basically it means that it increases – this is how it works. This is like the mechanism of action of that molecule, that active ingredient. It increases the activity of the GABA receptor in the brain and in the nervous system. So I've spoken about GABA before. GABA is the major 
inhibitory neurotransmitter in the brain. It is the main neurotransmitter that um, is in charge of inhibition. That's why a lot of people take GABA to help them fall asleep because you're kind of slowing things down. You're reducing activity within the synapses and within the brain. That's what GABA does, right? And there is a receptor that GABA lands on activates the receptor and then it, it kind of activates like a chain of events that GABA is what's kind of in charge of. Now, this particular receptor is called the GABA-A receptor. There's a bunch of different receptors, but this one's quite a major receptor for GABA. And the GABA-A receptor has two binding sites. A binding site is where the the molecule lands and it performs some sort of action on that gate and then it chooses to open or close, allowing an influx of ions into the cell, okay? You don't need to worry too much about that, but there's two sites. One is the orthosteric site, and that's kind of the active site, and that's where GABA binds to. So that's where GABA locks into that little site on the receptor. Sometimes um, on all receptors, there's like an orthosteric site and an allosteric site. The orthosteric site is the active site where the neurotransmitter is going to bind to, and sometimes drugs will compete for that same site, like certain painkillers and stuff, right? But um, quaaludes or methoquaylone binds to something called the allosteric site. So it's referred to as a positive allosteric modulator. So it binds to this other site on the same receptor and its job, when because GABA still binds in its pocket, this one binds in another pocket and its job is to either crank up what GABA is already doing or turn down what GABA is already doing. And what methoquaylone does is it cranks up the activity of GABA. So it causes more inhibition. So it's more depressing through the nervous system. That's what's happening when you get methoquaylone binding to the GABA-A receptor. So now that we know what quaaludes do, what happens when you get an overdose or when you have an overdose? It can lead to coma, seizures, and even death as too much inhibition in the central nervous system is going to cause things to shut down in the body when you're inhibiting it way too much. It's going to cause a lot of inhibition in the brainstem and the brainstem regulates heart rate, blood pressure, breathing, etc. So you can imagine if all that is suppressed, you're not able to regulate those things or breathe properly or you know pump blood through your body. And of course, the dose of what qualifies as an overdose is going to vary from person to person. So there's going to be some users that have used it a lot, so they've got user tolerance and their threshold is a lot higher. Whereas some people who have taken maybe quaaludes for the first time, they're going to have a much lower threshold. Um, And as I've mentioned previously with like Valium or opiates, if quaaludes are taken with alcohol, the dose required for an overdose is substantially lower because the ethanol, which is the active ingredient in alcohol, also acts as a depressant of the central nervous system. So it's also going to have that similar um, depressant effect where you're inhibiting activity through those major areas, especially within the brainstem. So um, you're going to have a joint effect and sometimes in some cases with ethanol and drugs, you're going to get more of a compounding effect. So it's more than just the two individually. Sometimes they act higher. Um, So that's, I think, when you look at pharmacology and when you look at alcohol and drugs and whatever, it's always important when someone's like, don't drink alcohol when you're on this drug. You can maybe ideally say, why is that? Is it like a Valium? Is it a central nervous system depressant? Like it's, I think it's, it's important to, I think it should be more clear why you shouldn't fucking drink alcohol when you're on certain drugs. Cause I think people think, oh, it's not, it's, it's not that serious. But if you're someone that's going to get absolutely lit 
and have a huge night and you've taken a few Valium, then you're putting yourself at danger. So just be aware, guys. Be aware. Party safely. Um, Okay, so let's get into the topic of today, which is getting in your way. Okay, so there's going to be five points that I'm going to share with you guys. I'm going to break them down now and then I'll go into them in detail. Number one, old habits and patterns. Number two, fear of letting go. Number three, your internal working model of attachment. Number four, judgment of other people's journey. And number five, jealousy. If you can target those five things, and I'll go into them in detail in a sec, then you're going to see some major, 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 major changes in your life. Okay, so let's start with number one. Ways of getting out of your own way through changing old habits and patterns. Habits are one of the biggest uh, cock blockers for you as far as changing your life and moving forward. If you can't identify a pattern or a habit, and when I say pattern, that could be in negative self-talk, something that you always say, something that you share about yourself to other people all the time. If you can't identify that, then you're going to be stuck in that old way and nothing's going to change. Um, acknowledging is the first step in anything, okay? So you want to sit down and think, what is something that I always say that I don't love about myself? What is something that I always share about myself that then I get annoyed that I even said that or it makes me feel shitter after I've said it? What are habits that I wish I could change? Like my morning, I always want to get up earlier, but I end up getting up just before I have to get all my shit done before I leave for work. All these things you've got to identify. Number one, identify. And you have to realize that a habit was created by you, okay? You created the habit and that is a good thing. You don't want to think, oh, well, you know, even more reason to, you know, hate myself or hate my brain. No, no, because a lot of the time habits are created subconsciously, but still by you. It's still by you repeating that pattern. It's still by you repeating that behavior or that kind of language. There's no blame shifting here. You might be repeating language that someone has said to you, but your body, your structures in your brains have created the pattern or the habit, which is brilliant because it means that you can create new ones. You can override them. You can now uninvite these habits out of your life. You can uninvite these thought patterns. You are the one that is in control, okay? Your habits are not you. You don't belong to your habits. Your habits belong to you, okay? So you can get rid of them or not. And while I do believe that when you structure your life, your life is, a, is definitely a reflection of your habits. They don't determine who you are as a human being because if they did, then it means that you wouldn't be able to change them or they wouldn't be plastic or in, in something that's in a state of flux. But you can always change it, okay? So a habit can be replaced. An action, a thought, a behavior can be replaced from a moment to the next, Okay, so you're the one with the power and the control over it. And that's what you have to keep reminding yourself. Please go back and listen to the episode about putting in new habits in your life. It's only like, I think it was like a month ago, maybe six or eight episodes ago, I've done something about habits and how changing your habits will literally change your life. But you have to understand that it is purely created by you, consciously or subconsciously, and therefore that can be changed. It can be recreated by you as well. If you don't address these daily actions, then you will be at the mercy of what your subconscious mind has programmed to deem acceptable for your life, okay? And, and that's going to be the limit of what you're going to be doing. 
these daily actions, these daily thoughts, these daily patterns determine what happens in your future. Your current self is predicting what's going to happen in the future, just like your current self right now is a summation of what's happened in the past, okay? So if you want things to change in six months, you've got to be doing it now. If you want things to change next week, you've got to be doing it now, okay? You have to notice how much these statements to yourself, these habitual ways of thinking and being are impacting your future self. If you don't like where you are right now, or if you would like to see changes of where you are right now, pay attention to what you're saying, doing, believing, thinking, okay? Because that is what's creating the you of today and the you of tomorrow, okay? And you can change it. Okay, number two, fear of letting go. One of the big ways that we get in our own way, one of the major ways that we block ourselves from taking action or from living our life or from getting into a flow state in our life is through fear of letting go. Now, this one's going to be short and sweet this point, but basically a lot of the times the reason that we get in our own way is because we tell ourselves this narrative that like, oh, don't do that because if it doesn't work out, things may never be the same. I'm here to tell you, and you should remind yourself of this, that things are never going to be the same regardless. Where you are today is going to be slightly different tomorrow and slightly different in a week and in a month. Every day is different. No two days are the same. And it's really quite refreshing and not scary to remind yourself that things are never going to be the same, whether you take action or whether you don't take action. Like if you're someone that's had the same job, the same home, in the same city, with the same group of friends, you can still look back six months ago and be like, oh, remember the time that we did this? Times are always changing and always evolving. So even if you're not taking massive action, you're going to see many evolutions throughout your life, even if you don't do massive change. So this idea of like, oh, but you know, what if I make this change and I come back and it's different? If you don't make the change, it will still be different. So you can either choose to make the change yourself or you can sit around and watch change happen around you and then just reminisce being like, oh, I actually could have taken action because this would have changed anyway. My friends would have moved or the job would have changed or I would have got an annoyed and wanted something else. Things always are in a state of flux. You have to go with the flow. The more you go with the flow, which is momentum and being in a state of flux, the more you do that, the less you are in your way. Stagnation is getting in your way. I think a lot of people are paralyzed by that fear of like, oh my God, if I do this and I fuck up, I'm 10 steps back. No, the worst thing you can do as far as momentum is sitting still. So you sitting there pondering, that is getting in your way. You could do all the wrong actions and you are not getting in your way because there's always going to be an opportunity within a dead end or an opportunity within a failure. There's always going to be another way to reroute where you're headed. If you are moving, you've just got to keep moving and going with the flow. Life is always moving. So if you pause it's going to keep moving. So in order to get out of your own way, you're constantly in this state. So this fear of letting go and the fear of things never being the same again, it's kind of a trick because it's almost like denying what reality is. And you're kind of saying like, if I stay here, everything will stay the same, but that's just not how life works. Okay. Now, number three, this is a really interesting one. And I talk about this, I've talked about this a few times, but it's the internal working model of attachment. This is fucking interesting. And I highly recommend that you go back and listen to my episode on attachment theory. Uh, It's like, I think it's like 
episode 40 something or whatever. It's like back. But it is very crucial for everyone to understand how um, attachment theory works. And I talk about this thing called the internal working model, which is what happens. It's what you create based around your attachment style. So it's a set of beliefs that are built within an individual that occurs or is built up because of how they formed attachment in early childhood. So for example, if you had really secure attachment and you had a really safe boundaries, but freedom was given to you and you felt very loved and it was very consistent, then you have secure attachment. So your internal working model is this set of beliefs. I am loved. I can rely on people. I The world is a good place to be in. And I am lovable. And on top of all of that, I am okay when things go wrong. My life won't fall apart. I will be fine. I am enough. That's kind of the idea behind that secure attachment. If you then have an insecure form of attachment, your internal working model would be different. So say, for example, you grew up with parents who loved you, but it was quite chaotic and there was a lot of maybe arguments or you felt like when you needed the love, the love wasn't there. And then when you didn't need it, there was overbearing, that kind of thing. You know, it's not like the worst thing in the world. You're still loved, but it's kind of like a hit and miss, hit and miss. Then your internal working model might be, I'm loved, I'm lovable, but it's not reliable. So I can't rely on people when I need them. I'm going to have to rely on myself and I can't be vulnerable and the world is generally a good place, but I can't really trust it. So that's where you get people that put their walls up in relationships and like block people out and no, oh, don't, that often will come from some sort of insecure attachment. Then you've got disorganized attachment where you're talking like trauma or abuse or something like that. And your internal working model is kind of anger, confusion, everyone's out to get me and um, I can't rely on anybody. If something happens that's neutral, you're going to perceive it as a negative thing. I'm not lovable. I'm not capable of doing what I need to do because the resources or the people or the tools are just not there. So that's kind of in a fucking nutshell what internal working model of attachment is. Um, Read into it. It's very, very interesting or go listen to that other episode that I did. But basically – The first thing that you want to be doing is A, identify what your main beliefs are about the world in general, how people, strangers and people in your inner circle treat you if they're reliable or not, and your own abilities. Is your normal language like, I am capable, I'm lovable, I will be fine, or is it like, I don't feel lovable, I don't feel capable? So pay attention to that and identify because the closer you can get to a secure attachment style of an internal working model, then the more you're, you're going to get out of your own way. And one of the best ways, like, I mean, there's a whole thing of therapy that you can do to start working on your internal working model. And there's a lot of good tools out there. But one of the best ways to start, definitely some people need to have it guided by a therapist and that's not what you're going to find in this podcast. But as a start is to A, acknowledge and identify which style you are and what your main belief systems are about yourself, your abilities, people around you and the world in general. And then you want to start finding, every time you think of a thought that's part of your internal working model, start to find things that counter what you are saying. So like arguing against what you were saying. It's like you're a debate, you're in a debate team and you're debating these beliefs that you hold. And you've got to find evidence and examples, ideally within your own life, that that may not be true. Okay. Now, 
The reason for this is because one of the biggest things in internal internal working model is confirmation bias. When you believe something so heavily, especially when it's got to do with your abilities and being lovable and relationships, which is so in our core from when we were toddlers, when you believe something, you see that it's like your schema, it's your set of beliefs that you live by, right? So if you then, if someone then says, oh, no, no, that's not true. You are lovable. You're like, what well, no, I'm not because and then you give all these examples of when you weren't lovable so everything that we see is kind of we seek out things to prove that we are right even if it doesn't serve us it's this confirmation bias if you say I'm not lovable and you have a string of bad relationships you're like see that person cheated on me see that person did that see but you might not be identifying your three best friends who fucking adore you you're not even thinking about that. So you're just saying, oh, I'm not lovable because of this happened. Or you might have had people that show great interest in you, but you might have just not been interested in them, which is fine. Don't fucking date someone you're not interested in. But you can acknowledge that as like, wait a minute, all these people have liked me and have wanted to date me, but I've not given them a bar of my attention, which is fine. But I can't stand here and say that I'm not lovable when there was all these people that actually at some point in my life showed that they they were interested in me. Or look at how your friends treat you. Or look at how you know, customers might treat you and they find you engaging or whatever. But there's always going to be pieces of evidence to counteract this internal working model that you have that you're not capable, not lovable, whatever. So please, I'm just wrapping this up in a nutshell of one of the ways of getting out of your own way. But working on your internal working model is one of the best ways to get out of your way. It will lift so many years of weight, dead weight that's pushing you down it will transform your life. So go back and listen. I'm going to find it. Wait, one sec. Okay, I found it. Here it is. It's episode 48 and it's called Let's Break Down Attachment Theory Slash Styles. So please go listen to that if you're interested. It's um, It will open up a whole other box of fucking shit that you can, or a doorway of like a fucking, what am I fucking trying to say? It's going to open up a whole world for you to explore and navigate through and find out shit about yourself. It's really cool. Okay, let's get on to the next point. Number four, judgment. Oh my God, this is a great one and a huge one. Okay, judgment. This is the best way to get out of your own way. When you judge others, you are more likely to be affected by judgment. So many people fail to take action, fail to live the life they want to live, fail to take risks because they are afraid of being judged by the people closest to them, by strangers, just by anybody in general. And this this fear will literally paralyze you from taking action potentially for your whole life. There are people that live their whole life not taking action, not saying what they wanted to say because of fear of judgment. And one of the best ways to not be so affected by others' judgment or, or what they think about you or say about you behind your back is by ceasing judging other people altogether. We all do it to some extent. We all judge to some degree. Okay, maybe maybe there's a small percentage of people that never judge. But all of us do it. Some people do it like crazy and when they judge people, it really affects them and they're really passionate about it. Other people just make passing judgments, but it's not that big a deal. But you can always reduce it. You can always do work to reduce it. I'm always doing work to reduce my judgment. I'm trying to catch myself judging people in the moment and doing something about it all the time. We all do it, okay? But I definitely don't verbalize it. Like there's a difference between verbalizing your judgment and making unsolicited comments versus the, a step down from that, which is an improvement of just thinking it in your head versus analyzing those thoughts and why you think those thoughts and doing something about it, okay? 
The reason it's so important to not judge people in order to not feel so judged is because when someone says something to you and you agree or you believe it, it has an impact on you. So if, if you're quite judgmental to other people, let's say you're really judgmental to people that are trying to start their own business or trying to, you know, branch out and do something different or someone's like, I want to start a podcast and you're the kind of person that then says, really, <laughs> like every person and their dog has a podcast. Like if you're going to make these comments of someone who's trying to do something in a saturated market or trying to whatever it is that they want to do and you're going to make a comment like that, then the day you want to do the same thing, you are going to be mortified and haunted But what people could be saying about you behind your back because you engage in that behavior and you engage in those thought patterns and you judge. So because you believe that way of being, because you believe that judgment is in the core of other people and yourself and because you believe that, oh, that's a saturated market, why would you do that, blah, 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 blah. Then when someone says it to you, you take it on board and believe it. If someone said something to you that you didn't believe, it would have no impact on you whatsoever. For example... I have had, on a few occasions, randomly and weirdly, people asking me, are you not concerned that you're probably going to go to hell if you don't repent? But my belief system doesn't align with that. So there's no concern from my end about this potential hell. There's zero concern. I'm not, I don't lose any sleep over it at all. But if I believed in hell, then I'd probably be freaking out and taking the necessary steps to repent for this supposedly sinful life of mine. Um, I would be worried about what people think about, oh my God, I'm going to go to hell because I would believe it, right? But seeing as I don't believe in that outcome after I die, I just don't concern myself with it at all. And so when someone says it to me, it doesn't impact me negatively. I'm like, yeah, that's your belief. I've got mine. And, and if there is a hell, I will cross that bridge when I come to it. The day I die and I'm, you know, there and they're like, you're going to go to hell because you didn't repent your sins. At, not all is lost. Mardi Gras would be in hell. So I'd still be thrilled regardless, okay? But what I'm saying is that because I don't have this belief, when someone says it to me, it doesn't affect me, okay? The same goes for your judgment. If you judge other people, you are more likely to believe that kind of judgmental mentality, that idea of like, it's okay to put someone down. It's okay to make someone question it when they're trying to do something. You have to check yourself before you wreck yourself and you need to pay attention to how you put other people down, how you judge other people and ask yourself the following questions when you do judge. One, is this a threat to me, an actual threat? Two, is it affecting my life in any way, any serious way, like any legitimate way? Three, is this judgment stemming from some useless information that I picked up along the way? For example, what I said at the start, that people should dress for their age. You know, did you just absorb that from an older generation or did you absorb that from something that your friends have said and now you're just passing that judgment without, without first analyzing it? You're just kind of regurgitating things that have been said. Is that another reason why you're judging? And four, can I let go of this? And if not, why can't I let go of it? Those are the questions that you want to ask yourself every time you're about to open your mouth and judge someone. Every time. Is it a threat? Is it affecting my life? Is this judgment stemming from some useless information? Can I let go of it? And if not, why can't I let go of it? That's going to do a bit of digging and soul searching. When you let go of judgment, your life will transform. It's fucking amazing. You actually stop caring about what people have to say about you. It's amazing. It's like you've waved a magic wand. 
Literally. The more you judge, the more affected you are by judgment, okay? It's literally karma. It's one of the best ways that karma plays out. So all you have to do is release your judgment from other people, is to analyse your own thoughts and why you feel the way you do and start being more empathetic and sympathetic towards other people and you are going to realise that you're going to care less and less and less about what other people say and that is one of the best ways of getting out of your own way. It's amazing. And the last point that I have is number five, jealousy. Every time you are jealous... Every time you are jealous, you are focusing on lack. Every time you are jealous, you focus on not being enough or fear of rejection or comparing yourself so you can prove that you are better, that you are good enough and that you are going to be okay. Jealousy is a survival mechanism gone wrong. It's just gone haywire. And it's there. It was originally, I think, created in a weird way to protect yourself from getting hurt. So you put your walls up. It's kind of like if I identify what, who my threats are and if I then make sure that I keep those threats at bay or say you're someone who's jealous in a relationship and you don't let your partner talk to anyone you know, that you deem a threat or whatever – it's kind of like this is a protective mechanism because I can see the threat and I don't want to get hurt. That is what jealousy is. It's nothing else but that. It's a flawed protective mechanism. But what you need to understand, and it's actually quite liberating and freeing the moment you understand this, you'll be so much happier and so much calmer and so much out of your way, is that you can never, it sounds really cynical, but it's great, you can never protect yourself from getting hurt. It's impossible. You can be so guarded and so, you know, um, controlling with the people around you and, and seem to have everything under control and still get the knife in your back. Nothing you do, nothing you do can prevent you from getting hurt by other people because you cannot control other people. It's not in your control. So no matter what actions you take, no matter what um, delusions you have of control over the people around you, you have no control, none whatsoever. So... Instead of putting your energy into protecting yourself from getting hurt, which is a full-time job, why not put your energy into learning how to deal with anything that comes your way, which is a part-time job because you only have to address that if and when it happens, okay? One is always suffering to avoid potential suffering and the other one is always growing to then grow further if suffering occurs, okay? That is the difference between being jealous and having your walls up versus living your life and seeing what comes your way and seeing how you evolve from it every time you get a curveball thrown your way. If you get hurt, then having your walls up actually hurts you more because it's this idea of like, after everything I did to prevent this, after everything, this still happens, right? And when you're jealous, you're there living smaller. You're there thinking, that's a threat, that's a threat, that's a threat. How am I going to counter all these threats? How am I going to like make sure that that, I can, that that threat isn't going to affect me? Jealousy keeps you living so fucking small because everything is perceived as a threat. Even if you're just jealous of someone's appearance, that is still a threat. It's this concept of like, are they going to be more popular, more desired? Do people want to gravitate to them more than me? that then feels like a threat, okay? So when you live that way and then you still get hurt, it actually hurts you more, I can guarantee that, because you weren't growing in the process. You were just trying to protect yourself. You were living so safe and then in the process you weren't really living life at all. 
there's like I, I think I did a podcast on this. There's a there's a speech. If you guys have watched the film in the '90s, the French Kiss, um, or it's called French Kiss with Meg Ryan. She does this speech, and it's fucking brilliant. And she was talking about how she lived her life so small, so protected, so you know insular, trying to like keep her fiance close to her, this little home, this, this which is fine. But she was saying her mentality around it was like no threats, no, I can't have anything come in and hurt this. And then everything fell apart. Her fiance found someone else and fell in love, and she had to fly to France. And anyway, long story short. She has this conversation and she says that she was trying to protect her life so much and then when everything fell apart, she realised that she hadn't actually been living and life began when she was really starting to like pick up the pieces and have new experiences and meet new people along the way. So it's all about perspective and how you approach things. I can guarantee you if you live life a little bit less cautiously without, um, without trying to control the people around you, those threats that you originally would deem as like feeling like life-threatening threats, like your partner cheating on you or whatever, literally dissipate. And weirdly enough, the chances of all these things happening are probably reduced because people gravitate to you more the less jealous you are, the less controlling you are, the less... Um, threatened you are because you're just a calmer energy you're going with the the flow people see this person who's like magnetic in a flow state nothing threatens them they're just who they are okay so it's really important to tap into this and I've got a few podcasts on jealousy I've got one that I just came out on retroactive jealousy and then I think my third podcast ever was on just overall jealousy but it is really important that that you identify how jealousy does get in your way and how you get in your own way by being jealous because it is a flawed protective mechanism. It stops you from enjoying the moment. It stops you from making connections, from being free, from being friends with that person that you thought might be a threat. It, it, it actually turns you against other human beings, fellow human beings. It stops you from being in that flow state and the more you engage in it, the worse it gets. It's literally like, like quicksand. So the mo- But the moment you stop resisting, Jealousy, the moment you stop resisting, it stops festering. If you guys want another fucking ref- movie reference from the 90s, if anyone watched Jumanji in the 90s, like the original, the OG with Robin Williams, that vine that kind of like was wrapping around and swallowing people up that strangles them. Do you guys remember that weird fucking vine that was get- getting that little boy? The moment they were like, you just have to stop, you just have to stop. The moment he stopped resisting, the vine let go of him. It's kind of that idea of the the more tension you add, the more tension you're going to get back. So it's just an idea of taking a breath and saying, I see this person as a threat, but how can I see them as an ally? I see this person and I'm judging them, but what can I appreciate in them and identify a couple of things that I like about them? I'm really jealous that my partner is speaking to these, you know, these other people that I deem as a threat. How can I reach out to them and find something that I like about them and we can laugh about together? Or maybe we have something in common, or maybe we have the same beliefs about something you know, and that is how you stop the resistance. You stop feeding the beast and the beast will die. That's how I say jealousy. When it comes to jealousy, less is more. Just say that to yourself. Every time you're starting with these jealous thoughts, just say less is more. I'm getting in my own way by doing this. I am getting in my own way. I'm achieving nothing but preventing myself from living my life. Guys, I hope that that episode was helpful. I hope you guys noticed that there was an underlying theme and that underlying theme was kind of fear and resistance to what is with everything that we spoke about. So hopefully you can like dig into a few of those things and you'll find that you will be a lot freer. You'll go with the flow more. Things will start to happen in your life when you let go of those things that are blocking you, okay? It's it's actually 
weirdly less effort. It's kind of going with the current, going with, you know, the, the path of least resistance. It's less effort to actually get out of your own way than to be in your own way. And once you identify that way of being, you'll be like, why was I just pushing against the current? Why was I doing this? And it was actually so much effort to live in a jealous way, in a fearful way, with a different internal working. All these things you're going to realize like, wow, I, you know, it, it'll be eye-opening. It's really cool. Anyway, guys, thank you so much for listening to this episode. I love you all so much. And I can't wait to share how the move goes. Um, everything that's happening in Sunroom that is launching this week, guys, Sunroom. So go and check out um, if you're following me on Instagram, I'll be like obviously giving you more updates and on the Facebook page as well. Um, but I will be announcing exactly when it goes live, but I'm so excited. Mindset Hacks is coming back. There's going to be a whole bunch of things that's coming back and it's going to be a good time. Thank you so much again. I love my beans, my global beans, and I will speak to you guys at the end of the week. And of course, remember, as always, be kind to yourselves, be kind to your brains. Don't take shit from anyone and especially don't take shit from yourself. Danke.